had a small argument with a friend who insisted that the syndrome where people are disturbed by ringing or whooshing or hissing sounds in their ears is pronounced tinnitus, while I insisted that it is pronounced tinnitus. Well, tomato or tomato, we are both right. You can say either, but hopefully you don't have to deal with the intrusive, annoying problem yourself. Tinnitus may sound like a minor irritation, but it can lead sufferers to withdraw from other people, lose sleep, and become quite depressed and irritable. It is more than a minor quality of life issue, but it's probably hard to really comprehend unless you experience it yourself. Luckily, the buzzing in my ears is not intrusive to my daily life, but I've known people who quickly became shadows of themselves because of the toll it was taking on them. Today we have articles to read that's describing what tinnitus is and what the current standard of care is for dealing with it, and about a potential new treatment that's not yet available in the U.S. We will also read about when a hearing test becomes necessary and how to go about getting one. So we'll start with the Harvard Health Publishing Harvard Medical School, Harvard Women's Health Watch, and the article is titled Tinnitus, Ringing in the Ears and What to Do About It. And this was updated on April 8th, 2020. Tinnitus, pronounced tinnitus or tin tinnitus, is sound in the head with no external source. For many, it's a ringing sound, while for others it's whistling, buzzing, chirping, hissing, humming, roaring, or even shrieking. The sound may seem to come from one ear or both, from inside the head or from a distance. It may be constant or intermittent, steady or pulsating. Almost everyone has had tinnitus for a short time after being exposed to extremely loud noise. For example, attending a loud concert could trigger short-lived tinnitus. Some medications, especially aspirin and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs taken in high doses, can cause tinnitus that goes away when the drug is discontinued. When it lasts more than six months, it's known as chronic tinnitus. As many as 50 to 60 million people in the United States suffer from this condition. It's especially common in people over age 55 and strongly associated with hearing loss. Many people worry that tinnitus is a sign that they are going deaf or have another serious medical problem, but it rarely is. Most tinnitus is subjective, meaning that only you can hear the noise. But sometimes it's objective, meaning that someone else can hear it too. For example, if you have a heart murmur, you may hear a whooshing sound with every heartbeat. Your clinician can also hear that sound through a stethoscope. Some people hear their heartbeat inside the ear, a phenomenon called pulsatile tinnitus. It's more likely to happen in older people because blood flow tends to be more turbulent in arteries whose walls have stiffened with age. Pulsatile tinnitus may be more noticeable at night when you're lying in bed and there are fewer external sounds to mask the tinnitus. If you notice any new pulsatile tinnitus, you should consult a clinician because in rare cases it is a sign of a tumor or blood vessel damage. The course of chronic tinnitus is unpredictable. Sometimes the symptoms remain the same and sometimes they get worse. 
In about 10% of cases, the condition interferes with everyday life so much that professional help is needed. While there's no cure for chronic tinnitus, it often becomes less noticeable and more manageable over time. You can help ease the symptoms by educating yourself about the condition, for example, understanding that it's not dangerous. There are also several ways to help tune out the noise and minimize its impact. Auditory pathways and tinnitus. Sound waves travel through the ear canal to the middle and inner ear, where hair cells in part of the cochlea help transform sound waves into electrical signals that then travel to the brain's auditory cortex via the auditory nerve. When hair cells are damaged by loud noise or autotoxic drugs, for example, the circuits in the brain don't receive the signals they're expecting. This stimulates abnormal activity in the neurons, which results in the illusion of sound, or tinnitus. What's going on? Most people who seek medical help for tinnitus experience it as subjective, constant sound, like constant ringing in the ears, or a buzzing sound in the ear, and most have some degree of hearing loss. Things that cause hearing loss and tinnitus include loud noise, medications that damage the nerves in the ear, autotoxic drugs, impacted earwax, middle ear problems such as infections and vascular tumors, and aging. Tinnitus can also be a symptom of Meniere's disease, a disorder of the balance mechanism in the inner ear. Tinnitus can arise anywhere along the auditory pathway from the outer ear through the middle and inner ear to the brain's auditory cortex, where it's thought to be encoded, in a sense, imprinted. One of the most common causes of tinnitus is damage to the hair cells in the cochlea. These cells help transform sound waves into nerve signals. If the auditory pathways or circuits in the brain don't receive the signals they're expecting from the cochlea, the brain, in effect, turns up the gain on those pathways in an effort to detect the signal, in much the same way that you turn up the volume on a car radio when you're trying to find a station's signal. The resulting electrical noise takes the form of tinnitus, a sound that is high-pitched if hearing loss is in the high-frequency range and low-pitched if it's in the low-frequency range. This kind of tinnitus resembles phantom limb pain in an amputee, the brain is producing abnormal nerve signals to compensate for missing input. Most tinnitus is sensorineural, meaning that it's due to hearing loss at the cochlea or cochlear nerve level. But tinnitus may originate in other places. Our bodies normally produce sounds, called somatic sounds, that we usually don't notice because we're listening to external sounds. Anything that blocks normal hearing can bring somatic sounds to our attention. For example, you may get head noise when earwax blocks the outer ear. Some drugs that can worsen or cause tinnitus. Aspirin and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including ibuprofen, Motrin, and naproxen, Aleve or naprosin. Certain antibiotics, including ciprofloxacin, cipro, doxycycline, vibromycin, and others, gentamicin, garamycin, erythromycin, eritab, and others, tetracycline, sumycin, tobramycin, nebsin, and vancomycin, or vancosin. Antimalarial drugs such as chloroquine and quinine, 
certain anticonvulsants, including carbamazepine, Tegretol and others, and vulproic acid, Depakote and others. Certain cancer drugs, including cisplatin or platinol and vincristine, Oncovin and vincasar. Loop diuretics, when given intravenously in high doses, including bumetanide or bumex, furosemide or lasix, and torsamide or demodex. Tricyclic antidepressants such as amitriptyline, elevil, or others, clomapramine or anafranil, and imipramine or tofranil. Evaluate and treat underlying problems. If you develop tinnitus, it's important to see your clinician. She or he will take a medical history, give you a physical examination, and do a series of tests to try to find the source of the problem. She or he will also ask you to describe the noise you're hearing, including its pitch and sound quality, and whether it's constant or periodic, steady or pulsatile, and the times and places in which you hear it. Your clinician will review your medical history, your current and past exposure to noise, and any medications or supplements you're taking. Tinnitus can be a side effect of many medications, especially when taken at higher doses. Musculoskeletal factors, jaw clenching, tooth grinding, prior injury, or muscle tension in the neck sometimes make tinnitus more noticeable. So your clinician may ask you to tighten muscles or move the jaw or neck in certain ways to see if the sound changes. If tight muscles are part of the problem, massage therapy may help relieve it. Tinnitus that's constant, steady, and high-pitched, the most common type, generally indicates a problem in the auditory system and requires hearing tests conducted by an audiologist. Pulsatile tinnitus calls for a medical evaluation especially if the noise is frequent or constant. MRI or CT imaging may be needed to check for a tumor or blood vessel abnormality. Your general health can affect the severity and impact of tinnitus, so this is also a good time to take stock of your diet, physical activity, sleep, and stress level, and take steps to improve them. You may also be able to reduce the impact of tinnitus by treating depression, anxiety, insomnia, and pain with medications or psychotherapy. If you're often exposed to loud noises at work or at home, it's important to reduce the risk of hearing loss or further hearing loss by using protectors such as earplugs or earmuff-like or custom-fitted devices. And they offer some selected resources here, including the American Academy of Audiology, which can be found at www audiology.org, the American Tinnitus Association, which is at www.ata.org, the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communication Disorders at www.nidcd.nih.gov. Managing Tinnitus. In addition to treating associated problems, such as depression or insomnia, there are several strategies that can help make tinnitus less bothersome. No single approach works for everyone, and you may need to try various combinations of techniques before you find what works for you. If you have age-related hearing loss, a hearing aid can often make tinnitus less noticeable by amplifying outside sounds. 
There is no FDA-approved drug treatment for tinnitus, and controlled trials have not found any drug, supplement, or herb to be any more effective than a placebo. That includes ginkgo biloba, which is sometimes promoted for this purpose. Some patients believe that acupuncture helps, but it too has been found to be no better than a placebo. The most effective approaches are behavioral strategies and sound-generating devices, often used in combination. They include the following. Cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. CBT uses techniques such as cognitive restructuring and relaxation to change the way patients think about and respond to tinnitus. Patients usually keep a diary and perform homework to help build their coping skills. Therapy is generally short-term. For example, weekly sessions for two to six months. CBT may not make the sound less loud, but it can make it significantly less bothersome and improve quality of life. Tinnitus Retraining Therapy, or TRT. This technique is based on the assumption that tinnitus results from abnormal neuronal activity. The aim is to habituate the auditory system to the tinnitus signals, making them less noticeable or less bothersome. The main components of TRT are individual counseling to explain the auditory system, how tinnitus develops, and how TRT can help, and sound therapy. A device is inserted in the ear to generate low-level noise and environmental sounds that match the pitch, volume, and quality of the patient's tinnitus. Depending on the severity of the symptoms, treatment may last one to two years. When TRT was developed in the 1980s by neuroscientist Dr. Pawel Jastrobov, it was designed to be administered according to a strict protocol. Today, the term TRT is being used to describe modified versions of this therapy, and the variations make accurate assessment of its effectiveness difficult. Individual studies have reported improvements in as many as 80% of patients with high-pitched tinnitus. Masking. Masking devices worn like hearing aids generate low-level white noise, a high-pitched hiss, for example, that can reduce the perception of tinnitus and sometimes also produce residual inhibition, less noticeable tinnitus for a short time after the masker is turned off. A specialized device isn't always necessary for masking, often playing music or having a radio fan or white noise machine on in the background is enough. Although there's not enough evidence from randomized trials to draw any conclusions about the effectiveness of masking, hearing experts often recommend a trial of simple masking strategies, such as setting a radio at low volume between stations, before they turn to more expensive options. Biofeedback and Stress Management Tinnitus is stressful, and stress can worsen tinnitus. Biofeedback is a relaxation technique that helps control stress by changing bodily responses. Electrodes attached to the skin feed information about physiological processes such as pulse, skin temperature, and muscle tension into a computer, which displays the output on a monitor. Patients learn how to alter these processes and reduce the body's stress response by changing their thoughts and feelings. Mindful-based Mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques may also help. Not all insurance companies cover tinnitus treatments in the same way, so be sure to check your coverage.
If you're willing to enroll in a research study, you may be able to receive a cutting-edge treatment for free. For more information, go to www.clinicaltrials.gov and enter the search term tinnitus. Let's go now to an article from Scientific American. This was written by Diana Kwan and published on October 7, 2020. Titled, New Tinnitus Treatment Alleviates Annoying Ringing in the Ears. Tinnitus, the perception of phantom noises in the absence of actual sound, affects millions of people around the world. According to one recent assessment, approximately 1 in 10 adults in the U.S. experiences tinnitus, and in nearly a quarter of these individuals, symptoms last for more than 15 years. Those with tinnitus can also experience complications, such as difficulty focusing, fatigue, anxiety, and an overall reduction in the quality of life. Psychological interventions, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, can help lessen the distress, but to date, no drug or medical device has been shown to reliably improve this condition. Now, researchers have inched closer to making a treatment for tinnitus a reality. According to a new study published today in Science Translational Medicine, a non-invasive device that applies a technique known as bimodal neural modulation, combining sounds with zaps to the tongue, may be an effective way to provide relief to tinnitus patients. According to study co-author Hubert Lim, an associate professor of biomedical engineering and otolaryngology at the University of Minnesota, this treatment targets a subset of brain cells that are firing abnormally. Through studies in both humans and animals, Lim's team and others previously reported that electrically stimulating touch-sensitive neurons in the tongue or face can activate neurons in the auditory system. Pairing these zaps with sounds appears to rewire brain circuits associated with tinnitus. The technique developed by Lim and his colleagues is designed to promote the activation of brain circuits in response to many different sounds to drown out phantom noise. The idea is that eventually your brain gets sensitive to many different things, Lim explains. In a way, you have suppressed the tinnitus neurons, but only by elevating the other neurons. Another group led by Susan Shore, a professor of otolaryngology at the University of Michigan, developed a similar device with a different approach. Instead of increasing sensitivity to a broad spectrum of sounds, the team's method pairs a sound that matches the phantom one heard by patients with a specifically timed electrical pulse to the head or neck. In a 2018 study that included 20 people with tinnitus, Shore's team reported that this te technique was effective in reducing the loudness and intrusiveness of the subject's tinnitus. You can think of it as two ways to treat tinnitus, Lim says. One is you can try to find the tinnitus cells and shut them down. Our approach is to make everything in the audio system much more hyperactive to everything but the tinnitus. To examine the efficacy and safety of their device, Lim and his colleagues conducted a randomized, double-blinded exploratory study with 326 adults who had chronic tinnitus at two sites, St. James Hospital in Ireland and the Tinnitus Center at the University of Regensburg in Germany. 
participants were instructed to use the device for 60 minutes daily for 12 weeks. They were divided into three groups, each of which received slightly different treatments that varied by the type of sound used, the timing of electrical pulses, and the delay between the sound and the stimulation. The study was funded by Neuromod Devices, a Dublin-based company, where Lim is chief scientific officer that is developing and selling the bimodal neuromodulation device. Results showed that 84% of participants completed the 12-week regimen. Afterward, approximately 81% of treatment-compliant participants exhibited improvement in psychosocial variables, such as the ability to concentrate or sleep, along with lower levels of anxiety and frustration and better quality of life. In around 77% of the group, this improvement persisted a year later. Also, 66% of participants reported feeling that they had benefited from the device. There were no significant differences in these measures among the three groups. The study is very thorough and comprehensive, says Richard Tyler, an audiologist at the University of Iowa who was not involved in the new study. Given that at this point there is no pill or no surgery available for tinnitus, this work is very important. He adds that the investigation had some notable shortcomings, however. The most concerning was the lack of a control condition in which some participants would not receive any therapeutic stimulation to rule out placebo effects. Another limitation was that the authors did not report whether the subjects experienced a reduction in tinnitus, actual changes in the perceptions of the phantom sounds. You have tinnitus and you have your reactions to tinnitus. Those are two different things, Tyler says. If you're going to try and decrease the tinnitus, then you should be measuring the tinnitus. According to Lim, his group chose to focus on how the study participants reacted to tinnitus because patients' auditory perceptions may vary depending on how they are affected by the condition. The team did, however, measure perceptual changes and plans to present those findings in a subsequent paper. I was impressed with the improvements measured in the patients, says Rolana Sima, a psychologist at Maastricht University in the Netherlands, who was not involved in this research, but is currently collaborating with some of the co-authors on another study. Although the approach seems promising, it would be useful to see whether a group unaffiliated with the company developing the device would be able to replicate these results, she adds. I would advise, before we start producing these things en masse, to do that first. Neuromod's bimodal neuromodulation device is currently available through physicians in Ireland and Germany for prices from Euro 2,500 to Euro 2,750, which is around $2,900 to $3,200 American. According to Lim, the company is also seeking approval from the Food and Drug Administration to make the treatment available in the U.S. His group also plans further experiments to examine the mechanism underlying its effectiveness. At this stage, we can say that bimodal stimulation is changing things in the brain, Lim says. The next step is to do brain imaging in humans and animal exper experiments to really figure out what has changed in the brain. And lastly, we go to a short article from Harvard Health Beat 
and this is titled simply Testing for Hearing Loss. The human ear is the envy of even the most sophisticated acoustic engineer. Without a moment's thought or the slightest pause, you can hear the difference between a violin and a clarinet. You can tell whether a sound is coming from your left or your right, and if it's distant or near. And you can discriminate between words as similar as hear and fear, sound and pound. Nearly everyone experiences trouble hearing from time to time. Common causes include a buildup of earwax or fluid in the ear, ear infections, or the change in air pressure when taking off in an airplane. A mild degree of permanent hearing loss is an inevitable part of the aging process. Unfortunately, major hearing loss that makes communication difficult also becomes more common with increasing age, particularly after age 65. Testing, one, two, three. How do you know if you need a hearing test? If you answer yes to any of the questions below, talk with your doctor about having your hearing tested. Are you always turning up the volume on your TV or radio? Do you shy away from social situations or meeting new people because you're worried about understanding them? Do you get confused or feel out of it at restaurants or dinner parties? Do you ask people to repeat themselves? Do you miss telephone calls or have trouble hearing on the phone when you do pick up the receiver? Do the people in your world complain that you never listen to them, even when you're really trying? You can also ask a friend to test you by whispering a series of words or numbers. After all this, if you think you have a hearing problem, you should have a test. What does a hearing test involve? Thorough hearing evaluations start with a medical history and examination of your ears, nose, and throat, followed by a few simple office hearing tests. An audiogram is the next step. For an audiogram, you sit in a soundproof booth wearing earphones that allow each ear to be tested separately. A series of tones at various frequencies are piped to your ear, an audiologist will ask you to indicate the softest tone you can hear in the low, mid, and high frequency ranges. People with excellent hearing can generally hear tones as soft as 20 decibels or less. If you can't hear sounds softer than 45 to 60 decibels, you have moderate hearing loss. And if you don't hear sound until it's ramped up to 76 to 90 decibels, you have severe hearing loss. Hearing tones is nice, but hearing and understanding words is crucial too. For this reason, the audiologist will also play tape-recorded words at various volumes to find your speech reception threshold, or the lowest decibel level at which you can hear and repeat half of the words. Finally, you'll be tested with a series of similar-sounding words to evaluate your speech discrimination. There we have everything you ever wanted to know about tinnitus, and wouldn't that be nice if the new instrument coming out of Ireland works. Thank you for tuning in to Sound Body today. Stay well, and come back next week for more healthy living ideas.